Welcome back to Pod is a Woman, an honest, unfiltered conversation about the current state of politics and pop culture from three veterans of the Obama White House who also happen to be friends. I'm Alejandra. I'm Darian. And I'm Johanna. This week, we're joined by our friend, former Biden senior aide, Evan Ryan, who will join us to talk through the state of the presidential transition. And then we'll also be sharing the trailblazing woman that we've named our POTUS of the week. But first, we've been talking amongst ourselves and we're trying to put our finger on why Trump's behavior right now feels so familiar. And we think we figured it out. So today, we'd like to start by discussing how Trump is the ultimate bad ex-boyfriend. Johanna, Ooh. would you like to point out our first example? <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's like the the bad ex-boyfriend who's decided that, you know, he's very upset with how this went. And so he's going to try to go to your friends and say, but this is not actually how it went. Right. And try to tell them all. But you really actually just want to be friends with me. And so, you know, we're seeing this on this uh, stage that's just amazing because he's literally like trying to pull people away from Fox News to go to Newsmax or own. And it's just it's disgusting. And we can tell what it is like. No, you're not our friend. You're no longer going to be our president. Goodbye. And if you don't want her, that's fine. But we don't want you. You need <laughs> to go away. <laughs> this is the thing is. We love America. America, like the middle of the country, this is my home. So when I'm in the middle of the country and I'm talking to, you know, Americans and they think Kimberly Guilfoyle or Don Trump Jr., who grew up in California and or New York penthouse, are going to, you know, have more credibility with our people than we do. No, like, I'm sorry, bad ex-boyfriend. We're done. Take you and your family. And like one of the things that I think gets to me the most about the situation is that he just won't give you your shit back. Give us the White House. Give us right? the, Give us the football codes. Give us the Netflix password. We want it all back. This does not belong to you anymore. And the fact that he refuses to, number one, concede, which would be, you know, the honorable thing to do. We, I understand that there is no honor in the situation. And the longer he stretches it out, the worse it gets and the worse it looks for him. But if he cared about his legacy at all, this is taking away. It's just chipping constantly away at that and I would really love to see some level of them as an administration not just Trump we know Trump's not going to go quietly into the night but for the staff at the White House to recognize what's real and what the reality of the situation is and start to slowly transition that to us and I don't know if it's after we know that the electors formally vote on December 14th so I don't know if that happens after that or if they're already silently doing it behind the scenes and we're not privy to that but my hope is that there starts to be some sense that comes to it. Yeah, absolutely. And another way is gaslighting. We've all been there. We've all had the boyfriend where we feel something is wrong in our gut and we might even see it with our own eyes. But he says that we're making things up or we're being paranoid or he even gets mad at us when we're trying to point out the obvious 
this is the kind of guy who might have like another woman on the side. But when you question like, hey, who's that person? He's just going to be like, oh, that's nobody. What are you talking about? You know, just actually makes you question your own sanity a lot of times, which I think is like Mm -hmm. probably one of the most insidious of ex-boyfriends because it's actually he's actually fighting against what you what you know is the truth. And Trump has been that gaslighter in chief for his entire presidency, but probably not as brazenly been telling us that he won the election. He's literally like, it's almost like a tick every few days he tweets, quote, I won the election. So it's like between that, us telling us, him telling us the election is being stolen from him, him telling us that the election was rigged. I mean, he's pushing these theories very obviously for his own gain, but we're seeing it with our own very eyes. Yeah, Alejandro, you, you know, are so right in this. And that's exactly why I think it feels so bad because we know it's wrong. His own Department of Homeland Security has said this was the most safe election. And, you know, I am totally fine talking about if we want to improve on our systems in the next elections, but you cannot say that you're going to claim everything that you won and that you aren't going to claim anything that you didn't win. And this is where I think we are seeing the worst of the bad ex-boyfriend. You always knew he was kind of bad, but now he's just like gone straight crazy. 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 And my hope is that America is seeing this and that they're not living in their own media environment. There's something too. You always knew that there were warning signs about the bad ex. You know, there were warning signs. Somebody tried to tell you. And I think back, I just recently saw a clip on Instagram of the Hillary Donald Trump debate where she said, if he loses, he's going to claim that it's rigged. He's going to say that the election was fraudulent and that it was called against him. And now I'm looking at that like, yep, we should have (laughs) listened. Yep. We should have listened. listened to that friend of ours. It was like, I don't know. He seems like he kind of he kind of drinks too much. Or <laughs> he, he gave me the eye the other day. No matter what he says, though, at this point, the bottom line is the Biden-Harris transition team is already hitting the ground because their experience, they've seen this before, maybe not exactly what he's doing, but they, they've seen the blustering before the election. And so they're already preparing. And somebody who knows from an insider's perspective what this looks like, what should be happening, maybe what should be happening and isn't happening, is former Biden senior aide Evan Ryan, who is joining us today. So let's go to Evan. We are very excited to be joined today by former Biden senior aide, Evan Ryan, who also is a friend and a former colleague of ours from the Obama White House. It is so great to have you on with us, Evan. Thank you so much. I'm so thrilled to be here with you and congratulations. I'm a fan. Thank you. So I think it's safe to say that this presidential transition is unlike any we've ever seen. And to set the stage, I wanted to talk to you about you know, what is typically taking place at this point between White House teams and the incoming administration? Because you have a lot of experience with this transition. And so how does that differ from what's going on right now? So I had the benefit of working on the Obama-Biden transition in 2008. So I do have some context and it's operating a bit differently. Um, This time around at this stage, you would expect that uh, we would have agency review teams in cabinet agencies, meeting with members of the Trump administration, planning for the handoff of that agency from the Trump administration to the Biden administration. You would expect that the president-elect would be receiving intel briefings. You would expect that we would be able to possibly um, submit 
if we had, we don't yet have any cabinet nominees, but if we did, that we'd be able to submit them for their background checks um, and investigations. So none of that is possible right now due to lack of ascertainment. However, uh, we did a lot of work prior to election day to ensure that we were prepared for any scenario. And we had a great team of people who were really playing out any possibility. And now we find ourselves in such a scenario. So we aren't caught flat-footed. I just, that is certain. Um, we are pushing ahead. For instance, our agency review teams, they're meeting, they're just not meeting in the agencies. Today, the president-elect has a, a briefing with national security officials, um, former national security officials from the Obama administration, former military generals. So, so we're trying to work and move forward despite the delays that the GSA has currently put in place. Evan, I think you know you're so right. And to your point about national security and the president-elect having some of these briefings, yesterday he mentioned that you know people may die needlessly because of the delay in transition around the coronavirus and the pandemic. And today you were talking about these briefings that he is actually being able to receive at some level. But last week I argued that the lack of the classified briefings and the space and the lack of ascertainment puts us at kind of a higher national security risk. You're a member of the Council of Foreign Relations and a board member of the Women's Foreign Policy Group. What sorts of national security risks do you foresee in a delayed transition? So, um, you know, all previous president-elects would all have been receiving intel briefings by this point. Um, President-elect Biden is not receiving intel briefings. What he is doing today is convening former Obama national security officials and former generals just to discuss the national security risks because, you know, despite the fact that the GSA is not allowing due to the lack of ascertainment, the intelligence briefings to take place, we want to make sure that um, we're doing everything we can to um, still talk about the various risks that the president-elect will have when he comes into office. No, and we were all so lucky to get to see the privileges and the enormous responsibility that a president has. And I think all of us know that by the time it gets to a president's desk, there's no good decision or it would have been made already, right? So what do you know? Because you've just known Joe Biden for a long time. What can you kind of tell us about Joe Biden that can give us or shed some light on his decision making on behalf of the American people? Because he is he's going to have all these challenges of not getting the the briefings, but he will be making decisions the day he enters office, whether Donald Trump cooperates or not. So um, the good news, I would say for everyone, for the American people, is I can't think of a president who's had more experience on the foreign policy front than President-elect Biden. There, there has been no one who's walked into the Oval Office with this level of experience and expertise. So he will be able to handle anything um, that comes his way. But you know, in terms of what awaits him, there are things that we will not be aware uh, of in terms of what awaits him, things that are classified. Um, and so if, if we can't figure that out um, sooner rather than later, that, that of course puts us at a deficit. But there's anyone that would be able to handle it. Um, my confidence is in uh, President-elect Biden because he, you know, he was chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee 
before he was vice president. He's traveled the world. Um, he knows so many of these world leaders firsthand um, that I do feel like we are in good hands and having him be the one who's walking in um, to the Oval Office on January 20th. Well, and hopefully we have a, a President Trump that manages to cooperate at some point. I, I saw this week, I guess last week now, um, I was with Matt Schlapp, you know, from mm -hmm. uh, the chairman of the American Conservative Union, who's been leading some of the stuff in Nevada. Um, he's from Wichita. My family's from Wichita. And I had to remind him the 9-11 Commission report blames that lapse of time on the issue, of course, with 9-11. And he was talking about how concerned he was about 9-11. And it's like, well, we've had so many 9-11s since then. Right. So you guys have your, truly, you have so much ahead. And you've seen the different ins and outs of an administration. And I remember, because I was raised by conservatives, you know, I was so eager to see Senator Obama, then President Obama, try to bring about unity in D.C., I would say now we see that this uh, division is just so polarized and difficult. How do you think President Biden will learn from maybe our mistakes to try to bring people together and bring them along on this journey? Because, you know, there's going to be this whole down ramp of believing that the election results have actually been verified and certified. And then there's a confidence building period, right? So I, I also feel, I know I'm biased, but I do feel in good hands with the president-elect Biden on this front because he's, his career has been marked by bridging divides, um, by unifying. Um, much of his career in the Senate, he was the, the person who was reaching across the aisle. I think we've all heard him of late talk about that, you know, during the campaign and then even after the campaign. Um, this is something he still believes in. He, he believes that there are ways that we can talk together. There are ways that we can work together. I'm very eager for him to be in the White House and for his voice to be heard across the country. I, I was very proud of, of the press conference he had yesterday. I just thought the tone, um, the message, the tenor that he set was a contrast to what we've heard from the White House and a welcome one. Um, I think he sees real possibility in how we can bridge these divides. And um, I think he's, you will see a lot of that in terms of um, what he does early on, I imagine, in the administration. But um, I do have faith that of many people who could be walking into the White House um, as, as the new president, that he happens to be very well placed to find ways to bring us closer together because um, you know we, we, it's hard to think of us coming any further apart at this point. Yes, and, and to that point about bridging the divide, you know, President-elect Biden made a point to say, as it was a campaign pledge, that this administration was going to look like America. And, and so far, reports are telling us that half of your transition team is made up of people of color and women are actually the majority. So, you know, it's, you guys are already meeting that pledge in your transition team. And there was a lot of senior staff that was just announced, including Julie Chavez Rodriguez, who I know we all worked with in the Obama White House. So I guess I want to know, what do you say to folks that are concerned that, you know, communities of color were very instrumental in winning the presidency for the president-elect? But people think, okay, well, how does that look like in governing? Because a lot of times in governing is where these communities are sometimes taken for granted. 
Well, I would reassure everyone that President-elect Biden has really given us the mandate that he wants an administration that really looks like the country, that's very representative of the country. Um, he has made that clear to us. We have been really proud of the work that we've done on the transition. Um, as you mentioned, Ali, we really do have um, a representative transition and we're all very proud of that. Um, we had a great group of people, Julie, um, who you mentioned and others who were announced today. Um, and I, it just, it, it's great to see everybody in the Biden-Harris, um, the incoming Biden-Harris administration walking the walk on this because it is really important. Um, it's, it's how we are actually going to be able to um, create change um, and really bring about uh, the country that uh, President-elect Biden envisions. And I think when we talk about the president-elect Biden and him coming in and this new administration coming in, it's about creating this people's house when the president-elect said that, you know, he's not just for, he's not governing the people who voted for him. He's governing for all America. Mm -hmm. That's so important. And we've talked about this peaceful transition of power that we are, you know, in, welcoming in a well-informed transition team to start the process of governing. But we're seeing still a lot of blockage and a lot of claims from the Trump team and the Trump campaign about voter fraud, but not a lot of proof that that actually exists. After the electors vote on the 14th, do you hope that there is some sort of that? Or do you feel like the Trump team has a leg to stand on at this point? You know, when you have Republican senators um, from the Intelligence Committee um, expressing their concern that the president-elect is not receiving briefings or what Marco, Senator Rubio, um, just in the past, I think 24 hours referred to uh, President-elect Biden. I think there's real movement in that direction. It's frustrating when you see this reality that they should be accepting and they have chosen very deliberately not to and to be a blocker. And I'm just so hopeful that we can get past this and start to come back to a place of unity and place of collective purpose. And I'm so glad that you are a part of that and you've been such a good advocate for women and you know bringing people together so I appreciate that and we always try and end our mm -hmm. interviews on a note of hope and mm -hmm. I know that you have two sweet little babies at home one that you just welcomed this year which is so exciting and congratulations but what are you hoping to build for them what sort of legacy do you want to leave for your kiddos? Oh, yes, they are just um, total joys in our lives. Well, so the world has felt much more hopeful in the last 10 days or so. For sure, yeah. for sure. It's felt much brighter. It's felt much better about what their future is going to be. And so I feel so hopeful about that. I hope that we are able in, to, to bridge a lot of these divides. I hope they don't have to grow up with this kind of divisiveness and this very intense rhetoric being the norm in their world. I hope that some of these enormous issues that land on President-elect Biden's desk on January 20th, I hope that President-elect Biden will be able to make progress on, on many of them. I think of climate change, you know, and I think of racial injustice in the world and hope that the world that they grow up in is just a better world in terms of how we treat each other, in terms of the opportunities for everyone. 
Um, in terms of the opportunities for the planet <laughs> to be able to really have um, a place that grow and thrive in and that their children can grow and thrive in. Um, so that's my hope for them. And um, it's daunting when you think of the challenges that await, but you see a lot of promise when you look at a 20 month old and an eight month old. <laughs> that is <laughs> a so promise, true. A promise of a new day for sure. New, new life gives you energy, doesn't it? It does. It does. <laughs> I always, yeah. I always had to remember, like you never sleep, but you know, and <laughs> you look a little disheveled, but you've yes. got more energy than ever. It's true. It's true. You have to figure that out, and um, they are so fun that you find the energy. So it's, it's great. And and new resolve, I think, for you know, bringing them up and making the world a better place for them. I think that I didn't really know love until. I experience them and the joy that they bring. And it's, it's so motivating. They're so motivated to do anything that you can to really help make this world um, a better place. And so you do feel a greater urgency in that. Well, I just want to thank you, Evan, for your service, because I know doing the work that you're doing right now with two little ones, you know, what a sacrifice that is. When when I first went into the White House in, in 2009, the my boss, Mona Sutphin, who you know well, had two little ones as well. And so I yeah. saw what it was like for her to balance it and the work that you're doing for us and for our country. We're so grateful to you and so grateful for you joining us today. So thank you. Oh, thank, thank you. you all. Thank you. So great to have a chance to talk with you. You know, one of the things that stood out to me the most, which is something that we already know, but it was good to hear her validate, was the fact that Joe Biden is the person you send to the Hill. He's always been the person who could reach across the aisle. He's always been the one to bring folks together and go after the practical road forward. And, you know, that's something that it may not be the sexiest thing right now, but where we are as a country, having someone who is adept at that kind of negotiation and that way of turning down the heat in a room is going to be so invaluable. So it's just one of millions of other reasons that I'm so glad to have President-elect Joe Biden coming into leadership in this country. Well, Alejandro, to your point, we've talked about this before. Governing is not supposed to be sexy. It's about compromise and it's about working together and being able to reach across the aisle. And her pointing out that that has been Joe Biden's entire career is reaching across the aisle and being a, a man really of the people. I know that it sounds really cliche to say that, but I also think we have dealt with four years of nothing but constant tantrums. And as a mom, you get tired, you get overwhelmed. And just having an adult in the room who can really bring to light what the issues are and being able to address them is so important. And so just that perspective and that understanding that that is his plan coming into office was really valuable to hear. Yeah, no, and I can't wait uh, to that point, Darian. I just, I can't wait for boring. Like I want boring government because I want people to be able to get to work. I want America to be able to innovate again. And I want them to be able to work together. And I know we'll continue to talk on the podcast about how we can do that at a local level and how we can do that at a state level and how we can do that at a federal level. But most of the time, most of these guys who are peacocking around Washington, they're not helping the equation 
at all. So let's get back to boring. <laughs> I know. Do you guys remember when everyone in the whole world wasn't talking about politics? Like I remember, yeah. I mean, I live in LA and I remember when it was like, man, no one in LA knows what's going on in the world. You know, right. I remember Outside when I was in DC, in, no one cares. Yeah, right? In DC, you listen to the conversation going on at the tables next to you and everyone's debating some issue. And it, it never felt like it was that way anywhere else. And now we've all had this one track mind for four years. It's like, let's let this obsession go. And we really developed good Twitter experts on every (laughs) single issue that you just don't expect. This is the Twitter experts. It's like, you know, the conversation is just so in the gutter. We're not talking about, you know, we're talking about like whether the Democrats are burning cities, which they're not like that's the Trump talking point. And then the Democrats, you know, like I want to get back to issues like what should be legal? What should not be legal? How do we, you know, fund schools? What should because I believe truly that most Americans agree that we are only as healthy as the least among us, that we are only as educated as the least among us, and that we are only as housed as the least among us, and that we need to do better for all Americans and for the world. And I am praying (laughs) for boring. Praying for boring. I don't know. I don't think they're going to be boring, but I think they're going to be stable because I know we all know these people and they are not boring. They are interesting, compelling, dynamic, brilliant people, (laughs) but they are stable. You are so right, Alejandra. So speaking of turning the page in a positive direction, I want to highlight our POTUS of the week, which is Kim Ng. This week, the Miami Marlins announced that she will be their next GM, making her the very first woman to hold that title in not just Major League Baseball, but any of the major men's sports leagues in North America. It's a huge deal, and we want to give a huge shout out to Kim. And while we're giving shout outs, we also want to recognize our friend Marissa Renee Lee. Um, We worked together in the Obama administration, but more than that, in 2010, when I lost my brother very tragically, she saw me through a period of grief based on her experience with grief with her mother. And she is talking in her new book, Grief is Love, about love and loss and life and what you do after loss. And it's such an important conversation. So we're really glad that she is releasing this new book again. It's called Grief is Love. And we also want to give a big shout out to our former boss, President Barack Obama, POTUS 44, in his new book, A Promised Land. There it is. It's coming out today. I am getting it on Audible. Love you, POTUS. But I got to listen to this one, A Promised Land. Really excited for that to come out. Well, next week is Thanksgiving, and we'll be here talking about what this means for all of us in a COVID reality, how it is that we're all going to safely be able to celebrate this holiday. And remember to subscribe so you'll be one of the first to hear the pod as soon as it drops. If you have time to leave a rating and review, it really helps us build visibility for the show and get this content out to more podcasts. Thank you for listening as always, and talk to you next week. <laughs>